Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rumors, Money, and Movies. As always, I'm your host, James Bassstone. I hope you enjoyed our interview last episode with Jasper Pendergrass Jr. It was a great episode. I really liked interviewing him. Let's not forget, we're going to have some more interviews later in the year. But now, for this next month, it's all about the Oscars, little golden statuettes that has made this industry go around. This is the 95th Academy Awards. It will be on ABC. It will be March 12th. It will be 8 o'clock. This show we're going to talk about and break down the best picture category. My thoughts. I'm going to do a little bit of around the edge stuff with the other categories. But I don't know if I'm going to do another episode for that next week. I have to kind of consider my options, right? But we're definitely going to do break down all 10 films nominated for best picture. And then I'll briefly mention some of the other awards and who I think will win or who, who I put my money on. But again, you can follow us at Letterboxd at J-A-B-N-Y-R-I-C. I'm going to... Use a lot of my reviews to guide the conversation here. You're going to want to follow at Twitter, RMM underscore 901. I'm going to go off this year. Last year, we went off. This year, we're going to go off. We're going to get we're going to get thousands of views. We do not care. We do not care. To quote the great Mike Tomlin, we do not care. We're going to go off. And then, again, your first acknowledgement, your second acknowledgement, whatever it might be, we're going to have a live post show after the Oscars. I hope people pull up for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know if we'll, I don't know if we're going to have a Will Smith type of incident, but if the wrong best picture went, because last year you had to understand that even though Coda won best picture and it was a disgraziato, we had to focus on Will Smith's entire career going down the drain. This year we can kind of hopefully focus on some other stuff. And this year's going to be fun because it's a very, very unpredictable. Now, we're back to the 10 films being nominated because, as you know, there used to be only five films nominated. Then they increased the cap to 10 films being nominated. And then a couple of years ago, it went down from 10. To, they said you didn't have to nominate a total of 10. They've gone back to the 10 requirements. Now we have another 10 films nominated for Best Picture. I kind of think I've mentioned that, but I'll just reiterate for everybody maybe who may not be sure. Right, who's been nominated or whatnot. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, Banshees Van Sharon, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Two blockbusters, some generic studio fare, and then some European art house cinema. What else more could you ask for from the 95th Academy Awards? Now, how does Oscar voting work? So, I talked about how for the nominations, you can only vote for the for the part, your, your, your part, right? So, if you're a director, you can only vote for the nominees for the director. But when it comes to the actual winners, any Academy member can vote for any. You, you vote for every single award, right? So, even if you're a director, you can vote for everything, right? If you're a writer, you can vote for everything, right? So, for the Golden Globes, you have two different awards. You have best drama, and then best comedy. And so this year, and this usually isn't really a good prediction of who's actually going to win the awards because it's, you know, Hollywood Foreign Press and it was the Fablemans who won for best drama and Banshee's Vinny Shannon who won for best musical or comedy. I don't know how, I don't know how everything, everyone else didn't win. They probably got lost. Might have been the blow they were doing in the back. I don't know. But, so that was weird, right? But 
for the guilds, which they're doing it right now as I record this podcast, the producers' guilds are voting for their best picture winner, which is important because the producers are going to vote for this award, and it's a very much your guild is very much associated with who usually wins the award, right? So whoever the directors' guilds vote for, which they voted for everything ever all once for the best director of the year, right? Very much goes in line with the Oscars because if the guild is voting for the film, then most other people are going to vote for it, right? As well, because you're not going to change your vote. So the guilds vote by themselves, and then they all come together to vote for the Academy, right? And then for the Baptists, though, it was a wild out of nowhere because All Quiet on the Western Front won. So that was very shocking for most people. Now, how does Best Picture Winner work? Let's say for the 10 films, you rank them one through 10. One film has to get 50% preference, right? You get a 51%. You have to get a you have to get a majority, right? Well, how does that work? Well, everyone votes for for one, right? Now, if you're if no film gets over 50% on the first round of voting, the lowest voted for film, the film with the least amount of first place ballots, is removed. So let's just say, for example, Woman Talking only gets there's let's say 9,000 voters. If Women Talking only gets 100 first place votes, they're eliminated. And then those 100 first place votes, whoever on that ballot was voted for second goes to the goes to the film. Let me explain. Let's say I voted for Women Talking. It was my first pick. But my second pick was All Quiet on the Rest and Front. My second place vote for All Quiet on the Rest and Front becomes a first place vote for All Quiet on the Rest and Front. Then let's say the film with the second least amount of first place vote getters was Elvis. Elvis only got 150 first place votes. Now those 150 first place ballots go to the second choice on those said ballots. So let's say I voted for Elvis first. My second choice was uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. My second place vote for Everything Everywhere All at Once becomes a first place vote for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then we repeat that process again. Now, eighth was Avatar. I should have said I should have said that was tenth. I made a mistake. Eighth is Avatar. That had 500 first place votes. Then those 500 first place votes, my second place vote was Everything Everywhere All at Once. That goes to Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then we continue that process until, for the sake, Everything Everywhere All at Once has 4,501 first place or second place or third place votes. You just continue the process Right, it's like ranked choice voting. If your first option doesn't get it, what was your second option? So you can have the most first place votes on the first round of voting. Let's say that the let's say that the highest first place vote getter, and this might happen, was everything everywhere all at once. Everything everywhere all at once had the most first place votes. It had three thousand first place votes, but a lot of old hacks and boomers made it put it low in their ballot. So then a film that had the second first place, let's say, I don't know. Top Gun, I don't I really shouldn't say Top Gun, but let's say Top Gun had 2,000 first place votes, but then had 2,400 second place votes and then 101 third place votes. They would move up because they get the second place and then they get the third place because as we continue to eliminate films, you know, you get the subsidiary votes, right? Because even though I didn't vote for Top Gun first, they were my second choice. And so now my first choice vote was. Tar, that's eliminated, and they get my second place vote. I hope that made sense. It's ranked choice voting. So you could win with the least, you don't even have to have the most amount of first place votes because second place votes become first place votes. Third place, third place can become first place. It depends on who your first ranked choice is, right? And who your second choice is. With that being said, here's my ballot. 
And I'm then I'm going to get to the money and who I think is actually going to win. But this is who I think should win. And we're going to go through all 10. We're going to go through all 10. I'm going to start with my 10th place film first. Okay. My 10th place film is Top Gun Maverick. This is directed by Joseph Kaczynski. It is a sequel to the original Top Gun. I feel the need, the need for speed. Highway to the danger zone. Highway to the danger zone. So Top, Top Gun stars Pete, Tom Cruise as Pete Mitchell, Maverick. Miles Teller plays Rooster, Jennifer Conley plays Penny Benjamin, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Ed Harris, Val Kilmer, Charles Parnell, Monica Barbaro, Bashir Salawindi, Lewis Pullman. All these people play the Top Gun school. Now, I didn't plan this properly. Don't worry about it. So Top Gun Maverick has a 96% critic consensus and 99% audience score. Yeah, that's fake news. Top Gun Maverick pulls off a feat tr even trickier than a 4G inverted dive, delivering a long belated sequel that surpasses its original in widely entertaining style. The audience says, if you love the original and enjoy some good old school action, you need to speed your way to a screen of Top Gun Maverick. Now for these guys, I'm also going to add a special section, which is, which is the letterbox review score. And again, I'm going to continue to push letterbox because if people don't know what letterbox is... It is a site where people can write reviews, and it's super. It's awesome. I mean, it's really for people like us. I know people who have it. It's like a Facebook group where you just rate films. You like other people's films. You learn about other films. It's actually a really cool site. So I highly recommend it if you don't have it, even if you don't even want to write reviews or anything. You just look at what other people are saying. Some of them are funny. Some of them are actually really serious reviews. Some films are kind of inflated scores and whatnot, but doesn't matter. Anyway, for Top Gun Maverick, the letterbox scores a 4.1. It's only out of 5. So you get out of 5. That's actually pretty good, a 4.1. My letterbox review... Gotta get that corporate synergy, guys. I gotta get that corporate synergy, guys. <laughs> I gave it a 2.5. Right? I gave it a 2.5. Here's my review. So my quote is... I gave it 2.5 stars. My quote is, the future is coming and you're not in it. If, Top Gun, if James Cameron directed a Marvel movie written by Aaron Sorkin and produced by Michael Bay, overwritten, sappy, nostalgic, acted, long, cliched, this ain't it. Now, forget the political stuff for a second. This film's not made for me. It's, it's, it's a boomer movie, I like to say. Okay, I don't even mean that in a derogatory way. It's, but it's like a, you know, it's sort of like a boomer film made for boomers. It's nostalgic. It's in the past. The story is, you know, rah-rah, USA-esque, which is fine. I have no problem with that. I just don't think it's that good. That's my problem with it. I honestly just don't think the movie's that good. That's my issue with it. It has nothing to do with the politics or not politics of the movie. Because I look at this film and I say to myself, yes, it, it looks good because the, you know, the action sequences and all that are awesome. But outside of that, the acting is so bad in this. Miles Teller doesn't know how to act. Jennifer Conley looks lost. Everybody's just kind of not hamming it up. No pun intended. Tom Cruise is fine. 
but the acting isn't that good, and the story is so stupid. Like, I don't even understand the story. It's like, we got to bomb another country. That's not a spoiler, by the way. And it's so obvious. We know where it's going. And then it just devolves into super unrealistic. Like, the last 15 minutes are so stupid. And if the last 15 minutes didn't exist in the movie, I'd be like, oh, it's passable entertainment. It's fine. It's made for, you know, Americans. It's not made for a film critic audience. But then I'm like, dog, the last 15 minutes are literally ripped out of, like, a garbage Michael Bay, Transformers movie. It's just trying way too hard to get you emotional. Way too, like, too hard to the point where it's like, it's not that deep. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. We don't need to try that hard to elicit emotion. To me, the script is really wonky because they don't specify the country they're fighting against. So there's no way to really truly investigate the characters or the issues that you're going for. And then the other issue is that honestly and straight up, it's just not funny. It tries for this stupid Marvel-esque humor that isn't funny, that doesn't land. I mean, the film I know was trying to be funny. I didn't think it was funny. And I'm sorry, but I gave it two and a half stars. I didn't think it was horrendous. But to me, this is not a Best Picture winner. And I actually think it has a good chance of winning Best Picture. And if it does, we're going off on Sunday, March 12th. It's done. I'm telling you right now. Call your kids. Call everybody up. We're going off. If, if this one's Best Picture, we're going off. Forget Coda. Forget Shape of Water. Forget Nomad Land. We're going off. We're going off. You know what we're going off means? We're going off. Okay, my number nine film on my ballot would be Avatar Way of Water. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. We already know why I don't like this movie. I just repeat sort of the critics' census Rotten Tomato score. 76% tomato meter, 90% audience score. Critics' census reads, narratively, it may be fairly standard stuff, but visually speaking, Avatar The Way of Water is a stunningly immersive experience. The audience says, Avatar The Way of Water's story is predictable, but the visual effects are so spectacular that it hardly matters, according to you. It's got a 3.9 on letterbox. I gave it a two-half-star review, and I said, family is our fortress. That's the Sam Worthington, Jake Sully quote. Racism is alive and well in filmmaking. Forget all that. The film isn't all that good. The climax makes no sense, and a 14-year-old white kid with dreads having a question on Gurney Weaver is the fifth strangest plot development in the film. Avatar, the way not to do cinema. Everyone knows I don't like this movie. I think it's racist. I think it's cultural appropriation to the max. I think it's also just garbage. It looks good. Which is more than I can say for a lot of other movies, <clears throat> Marvel. But other than looking good, you know, it's not a good story. I know it was nominated because it's going to win. It's definitely going to win a lot of these. And when the show happens, it's going to win a lot, you know, special effects and some some of these other awards. But this is not a best picture winner. It's just, it's not. There's a lot. Let me put it like this. There's levels to this art form, and this is not, this is not that. Eighth on my card would be Elvis. I talked a bit about this, so I'll keep it short with this one as well. 77% tomato meter, 94% audience score. Critics consensus reads, the standard rock biopic formula gets all shook up in Elvis. With Baz Luhrmann's dazzling energy and style perfectly complemented by Austin Butler's outstanding lead performance. 
The audience says, like the man himself, Elvis delivers dazzling, crowd-pleasing entertainment that provokes a wide range of emotions. Now, Elvis stars Austin Butler, is directed by Baz Luhrmann, as Ron Tomatoes, of course, said. It's just Austin Butler as Elvis, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, Olivia DeYoung as Priscilla Cresley, and then a variety of other people. Also, my condolences to the Presley family, obviously, because of Lisa Marie's passing. Now, again, I said I love this film just because of the fact that I like Elvis. Elvis is one of my favorite musicians of all time. It has a three and a half stars on Letterboxd, and that's the amount I gave it for my Letterboxd review. And again, I'm not giving my whole review because this is actually longer for this one, but what I'll say is the quote, it doesn't matter if you make 10 dumb decisions as long as you make one smart one. That was said by Tom Hanks, Colonel Tom Parker. Now, my thoughts on this were similar to what I said in June, but I'll say them again. I'll sort of echo them here. I can't figure out if this movie's really stupid or really smart. It's Baz Luhrmann, so it's a lot of images thrown at you. I know a lot of people saw this film, so I'll keep the summary light. But it's better than a... Because the script is fine. Everything about the film's fine. It's just unfocused. And a lot of people, even on Letterboxd, say it's like, yo, it's a two and a half hour trailer. You know, I watched a two and a half hour trailer. Right? That's the, that's the most liked... Uh, 16,000, over 16,000 likes. Congrats to Baz Luhrmann for making the world's first two and a half hour movie trailer. Because that's what it feels like. There's not a lot of actual scenes. There's not a lot of actual scenes in the film. And this film's not winning. Okay, this film's definitely not winning. 100% not winning. There's no, there's literally no way this film wins Best Picture. But I know why it's nominated. And I actually respect the fact that they nominated it. I just also think that it's kind of it's telling that the three films at the bottom of my ballot, 10, 9, and 8, are the three most Hollywood corporate films out there. And this is sort of a, a comment on filmmaking as a whole. Hollywood film has gone downhill. I mean, a lot of these movies are not even made by Hollywood, right? They're made by either indie studios that have nothing to do with Hollywood, or they're just they're they're subsidiaries, right? Because Top Gun, that's Paramount. Avatar, that's Walt Disney. Elvis is Warner Brothers, but a lot of these other films are actually made by uh, low-level distributors. So to me, that's more telling than anything I could say specifically about these films. Seven on my ballot is the Bond Shears of Inner Sharon. 96% tomato meter, 75% audience score. Criticism reads, featuring some of Mark McDonough's finest work and a pair of outstanding lead performances, the Banshees of Inner Sharon is a finely crafted Feel bad treat. Audiences, if you don't mind a slow sad story, The Banshees in Sharon is worth watching thanks to a gorgeous scenery and some terrific acting. On Letterboxd, it has a 4.1 stars. I give it 3 stars. I didn't mean to be nice. I meant to be accurate. Terry Condon, Saraban Sullivan. I wrote, The themes are wonderful until the plot decides to become pretentious drivel, devoid of all logic and characterization. The perfect representation of Oscar films of the last five years. Beautifully shot and composed with a scattershot script and overall feeling of emptiness. I'll stop speaking Scottish. Yes, this to me was the epitome of these Oscar films of late because it's beautifully composed. The shots are great. The acting's fine. Everything's good. But the script just doesn't go anywhere. And if you've seen this film, you know how the plot develops. I'm like, what is this plot near the end? 
I don't get it. I'm not going to pretend to get it. I don't really care if I get it or don't get it. My God, though. It's, I don't, you know, and the like, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. I don't know who watches this film and understands it. I, I mean, the central premise is great. I love the central premise. The central premise is great. The scenery is great. I mean, it's filmed in, in Ireland. I also, I also forgot to say that uh, it stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon, and Barry Kagan. Those four are all nominated for acting awards. I forgot to mention that. I'm sorry, a little bit. I've already here. And Martin McDonough directed it, who I just mentioned. He's also nominated for Best Director. But here's my problem. Like I just said, it's too scattershot. It's too, doesn't know where it's going. And it's too unbelievable. And there's a sort of absurdity to it. And I guess it's trying to be absurdist. But that doesn't come across when you don't involve that anyway in the visual style. Like there's this dissonance between this super absurdist unrealistic script, and then this is really basic interpretation of, of visuals. I need some sort of lineage, you know, or I need something there to guide my mind because it's a visual audio experience. So I, to me, film is the best when the script that what, what you, what you like, what you see on screen is just a fraction of what's actually going on. Because the shot composition, the editing, the lighting, the framing, your performances, your, your script that you're saying and then how you're actually doing it, and then the overall story and the context of the said story all come together and just create art that you just sit with, that you're in awe of, that takes you completely out of your own experience. That's art. That's cinema. This is not that, at least to me. You like the And this film might win Best Picture. I'll tell you. Jesus. <laughs> the Fablemans. Talk about, I talked about this one before, so I'll keep it light here. 92% tomato meter, 83% audience score, part memoir, part ode to the power of movies. The Fablemans find Steven Spielberg digging at the family roots that helped make him a beloved filmmaker and proves he hasn't lost his magic touch. The audience says, The Fablemans may be slow in spots, but Spielberg's nostalgic look at, at his childhood will take plenty of viewers back to their own. Now, the weird thing about this film is it's written by Steven Spielberg. It's a biopic, basically, of Steven Spielberg. It's basically based off his life story. It has a 4.1%, that'd be bad. 4.1 stars on Letterboxd. It stars Gabriel LaBelle, who stars Steven Spielberg, basically. Michelle Williams, who's nominated for Best Actress, who should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Jude Hirsch, who's nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I don't know how he got that nomination. And those are the main cast. Now, I said, guilt is a wasted emotion. That was said by Michelle Williams. Mitzi Schrellegart, Fableman. A tour de force in filmmaking, the Fableman's are ultimately let down by its story. The film has everything you could ask for, and yet it doesn't totally work because of a lack of focus. The central three characters all feel underdeveloped. There are pointless romantic and friendship subplots that don't advance the overall pathos of the film. This is why vanity projects fail. Most of the time, the director needs to be told to change a thing or two. Yeah, I mean, this film is very long, right? It's over two and a half hours long, just about two and a half hours. And again, I have nothing wrong with the actual film itself. I mean, the composition, I mean, Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest directors of all time. He probably is on your Mount Rushmore, but it, it just loses focus in the last hour, hour and a half, where if the film was two hours and focused, it would have told a lot more of a story. 
And the ending, I don't think the ending ends in the right spot. I think they had a natural conclusion and just let the movie keep going for another 10 minutes. The writing just really lets down this film at the end. As I was watching a theater, I just, I couldn't help but be like, damn, you know, something's really, it could have been better. It should have been better and it wasn't. And that to me is the real shame of this film. And so that's why like for me, watching it, and thinking about it now, like this movie does not deserve to win a best picture. That's why it's sixth. It doesn't have a lot of hype. I just don't think it's a best picture winner. It's not bad. I, I just think it's a best picture winner because to me, when you talk about the best films ever, I need that X next level. What are you trying to say about the human condition? What are you trying to say about the human emotion? You know, what are you trying to say about life? It wasn't there for me. Fifth on my ballot is Tar. 91% tomato meter, 73% audience score. Critics census reads, led by the soaring melody of Kate Blanchett's note-perfect performance, Tar riffs brilliant on the discord side of fame-fueled power. Audience says, Tar can be tough to follow, although Kate Blanchett in the title role makes it mostly worthwhile. This film has a four stars out of five on Letterboxd. I gave it three, and I said, the quote I used was, don't be so eager to be offended. The narcissism of small differences leads to the most boring conformity. That was said by Kate Blanchett's character. Best compliment I can give, is that despite its long-running time, I was never bored. I did sense that this was Todd Field's first film in a while. He hasn't made a film in 15 years. As it never grew past a certain point or left third year. I kept waiting for the film to keep crescendoing, but it only stayed at a mezzo. It could have been a film for a generation. Instead, it's just a pretty good art film. So this film's about cancel culture. And again, it starts Kate Blanchard, who's nominated for Best Actress and probably will win. Nina House plays her wife. She's lesbian in this film. Noah Merlant plays her assistant. There's also some other people. Mark Strong's in it, who's an actor that you guys know about. But everyone else is mostly either a British actor or, or a European actor. This film is brilliant in spots, not brilliant in others. I just kept... The ending is actually brilliant. The ending's perfect. And the ending almost, to me, saves the movie. I just wish there was more. I feel like this is the kind of film, again, another over two and a half hour film. And Todd Field, by the way, is nominated for Best Director. But another over two and a half hour film. Damn, I mean, another one over two and a half hours? Really? Wow, that's a lot, right? I mean, every movie, two hours, two and a half hours. Every movie's long. And by God, if you're going to get a two and a half hour runtime, you best be, you know, you best have something to say. And again, it's not boring. I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. I was lacking that next level. Right? I was lacking that next step. And I was also watching it confused about some of the editing and some of the like why shots or why they were showing certain things. Not a lot, uh, but a little bit. I was a little confused about the direction at times. I was like, why is the shot here? I don't it's just confusing me more than anything. You know, there was a couple of shots like that. And then also things in the plot too, like <clears throat> You know, because everything in the script should matter, right? Everything in the script should be of note and matter and affect the plot in some way. And I just thought that in this film, there was plots and plot points and things that I didn't really necessarily view as uh, in like imperative to the plot. And for a film that's two and a half hours long, again, I didn't get that sense of overwhelming that rush of emotion. I just felt distant the whole time. I was wanting the film to come to me in a way. 
and it never came. I didn't mean it like that, okay? But I'm just saying, where is that, you know, that spark? It didn't have it for me. That's why, like, I actually really think this film, like, is a little bit more something. Could have genuinely been, like, a movie that marked a generation. Because this movie has stuff to say that people need to listen to. Straight up. And on both sides. I don't even think, it's not, I don't want to, it's not even, that's not even a spoiler. It's commenting on sort of our, you know, obsession with cancel culture and what that means and what that implies. And I think that's brilliant because there's this thought police bullshit. You can't say what you think. You got to be afraid. Don't say anything. It's, it's it's ridiculous, man. It's it's a joke. But, I mean, there's people who deserve to be canceled, okay? All right? And that's all I'll say on that. Being a cancel culture, number four on this list. Women talking. Now, this is a film probably no one's seen because it's not available. Don't ask me how I watched it. 91% tomato meter, 80% audience score. While women talking sometimes forsakes entertaining drama in favor of simply getting its point across, its message is valuable and effectively delivered. The audience says, although viewers looking for action will be disappointed, women talking is a thought-provoking drama brought to life by an excellent ensemble cast. Now, this film focuses on a Mennonite group of women where sexual assault is happening within the community, and they need to decide whether they're going to leave the group, stay, fight, sort of a dilemma against sexual assault. I'm just explaining the plot because I don't think anybody knows what this movie is. So Woman Talking has 3.8 stars on Letterboxd, I gave it three and a half stars. My quote was, why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love result in so much violence? That was said by Rooney Mara, Ona. She stars alongside Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Ben Winshaw, Judith Ivey, Shelia McCarthy, and Frances McDormand. The film's directed by Sarah Pauly. Now, I will say that Jesse Buckley is quickly becoming one of my, I've seen her now twice. Recently, she was in The Lost Daughter last year and was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She, I think she's someone you need to look out for. She's in her 30s, but she's someone who's coming as an actress. I'll say that. Now, my review on Letterboxd was, this is what intelligent social commentary looks like. Hats off to everyone involved because this could have been a complete S show on many levels. Everything about this movie is well done. Now, one thing I want to say about the star ratings because I gave this three and a half stars. Now, Elvis is ranked eighth. And I gave Banshees three stars, Fableman's three stars, and Taw three stars, but I gave Elvis three and a half stars. Why is Elvis eighth? Film was objective. Film was subjective, but film was also objective, right? And objectively speaking, Banshees, Fableman's, and Taw are more deserving of the honor of being called the best film of the year than Elvis, even if I like Elvis more. That's why. Now, Woman Talking, I gave three and a half stars. And so this film is just good. Just watch it. I mean, it's just a good movie. When it's available on streaming or whatever, go watch it. Okay, because it's just a good movie, straight up. No questions asked, hands down. Like, there's nothing more I can say other than it's legit, it's just good. The performances are good. The direction is understated, but good. The message is good. The subtext is good. And it's not in any way like, yes, it's not defending sexual assault in any way, but the way it handles the issue. It's not at it in a like, you know, way. It's even, it's it's genuinely what I wish people acted like in real life. I mean, and these women, all the women in the movie were, were assaulted. And so it's based off a true story as well. And so I'm like, this is what you, just talk. Act rationally. 
you know, including myself too. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it as well, but it's just a good movie. And it shows you like the complete way your worldview can be shifted based off where you grew up, right? Because these people grew up in a system, in a world where there was no system. There was no, you know, they live on a farm with horses and a cow, you know, they don't even know what rape is, you know, and they even talk about that in the film. So and that's not a spoiler either. It's just, it's just a really intelligent film. And it's the kind of movie that like, more films should be like it because it's the kind of movie that actually works on its own merit and doesn't patronize you or force an agenda onto you. It just says, look, these are the facts. This is what happened. This is the story. We're going to tell it. We're going to tell it in a good way. Take what you want from it. Amen to that, brother. I'll, I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. Three is everything everywhere all at once. The greatest film of all time to many. 95% tomato rate, 88% audience score. Critics census reads, led by an outstanding Michelle Yeoh, everything everywhere all at once lives up to its title with expertly calibrated assault on the senses. The audience says, incredible acting, stunning visuals, and a really deep, powerful story. Everything everywhere all at once has it all. E-E-A-O, as I call it. Now, everything everywhere all at once is like the darling of the world because it's one of the highest rated films. It's got 4.4 stars on Letterboxd. And so it's Michelle Yeoh, who's going to, might win Best Actress, Kiwu Kwan, who will win Best Supporting Actor, Stephanie Hu, who's nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's nominated for Best Supporting Actress, James Hong, and Tommy Medell. It's sits by the Daniels, who, and the Daniels most likely will win Best Director as well. Now, my thoughts. I gave it three stars. I said, so my quote was, Joy, wait, please. I have something to say to you. You, you have to try to eat healthier. You are getting fat. Michelle Yeoh's character said that it was so funny. I had to write it. It was hilarious. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I, la- I, I was laughing for like a minute straight after that joke. It was so funny. It was just such perfect, honestly. It was a really good joke. I gave it three stars. Why did I give it three stars? First 30 minutes are tremendous. Final act is superb, but the middle hour and final five minutes lost me. Creative gimmicks doesn't equal a creative story. Would have been a lot better as a simple family drama. Is it bad? No. Is it overrated? No comment. Now... The Daniels' first film together was Swiss Army Man, which I wasn't crazy about. But then the last 10 minutes were fantastic. And I was like, I love this movie. But then the final five minutes just threw it away. And I said to myself, the same thing happened here. I think the first 30 minutes are tremendous setup. And like, just how do you set up aesthetic? How do you set up characterization? How do you set up the story? How do you set up the world? How do you set up the the ambiance, the the uh, I can't think of the word, the atmosphere. How do you set that up? That's this film. But then we get into jumping patterns and going off into space and people shoving shit up their ass. I mean, I'm like, what? Why are we doing that? You had a beautiful story going. We didn't need all that, that sci-fi shit. He didn't need all that. I would have been a lot better with just a normal story. And a lot of people, a lot not a lot, but a, a vocal minority are saying, like, this is just junk food. And it kind of is. I mean, after the movie, it didn't affect me. I'm not thinking about this anymore. I saw it a couple of days ago. I'm not thinking about it. it. Came and went in my head. That's not art. Art sticks with you. It makes you think. I mean, <clears throat> to me, it was just... And, and, and the 
I think that the philosophical aspect of the movie is half-assed. I think the movie crumbles under its and by the way, that doesn't mean it's terrible. It's good. It's a great. I mean, it, it's 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 fun. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's heartfelt. But we're talking about we're talking about again, like I just said, boss. There's levels to this, okay, okay. Because you know, you if you bring if you bring Dak Prescott and I bring Patrick Mahomes, bro, it's it's not gonna work out well, right? Okay, that that's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. Because there's levels to this. To me, this is not a film that I want to be like, oh, this is the... Like, this is a film I know, like, 30 years from now, people are going to watch this. What? My dad thinks this is the best movie ever? I know for a fact. Because it's... I don't think this movie's going to age all that well. Because it's gimmicky. It's weird, dude. If I was high, if you're high, smoke a little bit of that. You're good. You're perfect. You're locked in. You're plugged in, baby. You're dialed in. But I mean, as an actual movie... I'm not so sure if I'd say, yo, lay, you know, lay it on the line for this thing. That's all I'm going to say. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'll just leave it at that. I, I think I said all I really need to say about the movie. If you loved it, you loved it. I think it's a little shallow and it crumbles under its own weight, but it, it's still third. I mean, look, the reason why I put it over a head woman talking, because it does deserve it, I think, more. It's just it, more ambitious. It's better directed. The editing's awesome. The overall just scope, the lighting, everything about it. I mean, the overall scope of the movie, not the story. I'm just saying, like, the scope of the production. All these different sets they had to do and <clears throat> the different aesthetics for each one and everything. And the creativity, too. I mean, you had to be pretty creative to these gimmicks. Number two, Triangle of Sadness. 72% tomato mirror. So this is the lowest one we're talking about. 70% audience score. Triangle of Sadness lacks the sharp edges of Oslin's earlier work. But this blackly humorous swipe at the obscenely affluent has its own rewards. Audience says, with an intriguing premise held back by uneven execution, Triangle of Sadness has some sharp points as well as some lopsided angles. The letterbox star is 3.8. And also, I want to say right now, it stars a variety of people. The people that you would know is Woody Harrelson. But shout out to Char Charlie Dean. Because Char Charlie B. Dean died before this film was released. And she's a, she's actually really good in this film. And I wish she didn't because she's actually tremendous in this film. And, I, you know, it's a sad way to end your career. Uh, Ruben Osland is uh, nominated for Best Director. And I think it's an absolute crime that Zlatko Beric was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Zlatko Beric was my choice for the quote. I sold shit. <clears throat> now, I do would say this is one of those films I wish I watched the director's previous work so I could accurately put it into context because I might think this movie's good but if I knew, if I saw his previous work he's made a couple other films then maybe I would be able to properly put this better in its context but this is my second choice for the best picture one of the best 20 minute sequences of film in the last decade the triangle of sadness knows exactly what it's doing even if it's complete hypocrisy Everything is connected. The performance is built naturally into the story and humor. The short shot execution, lighting, editing, and framing are fantastic. Satire is on point and maybe even a bit more. This is art. Killer ending. R.I.P. Charlie Dean Craig. Lady, I'm you all night. Looking at me. I say you're... That song's a banger. So even if... Forget the movie. The fact that I was able to find that song. Magnifico. Now, this film was a Palm Door winner in Cannes. That's why it's so hypocritical. Because it debuts at Cannes. With, you know, everybody in the audience is rich. And they're like, <laughs> we don't care. But I'll tell you right now, 
it's divided into three parts, right? The first part is okay. The second part is so good. And again, this movie's also long, almost two and a half hours long. Oh no, what the hell? Another two and a half hours. Like, come on over here. But the middle, the middle act, and like there's a 20-minute thing. I'm glad I didn't see it in a theater right? and I saw it by myself because I was laughing. I was laughing. And if anybody knows me, they know I I <laughs> they just know. I'll leave it at that. But it's great. I mean, everything about it is just funny. And it's so and it's smart too. And I gave it four stars, by the way. And which if I give you four stars, you're pretty damn. I don't give anything five stars. And the four and a half stars I give to like a handful of movies that are my favorite. So if I give you four stars, that's as high as you go. So my my litter box scores are a little deflated because everyone, you know, people hand out five stars like candy. I don't do that. I don't, I don't give five stars unless that thing's perfect and it's a perfect movie. Forget the tangent. Look, this movie at the end of the day is very simple. This is not a this is not a spoiler. What is the most excessive version of capitalism? And let's compare that to the most excessive version of communism. And let's see what interpretation you get from that. And to me. The triangle, I'm trying to think about what the third triangle of that is. You got capitalism, communism. I don't know. Modernism? I'm not sure. But the first five minutes are hilarious. Everything about the film, the lighting, the direction. I mean, I read that Ruben Oslin, it took him like two years to make this thing, just to make it, not even like put it all together. And I respect it because the, the absolute, the fact that, like, because you watch the movie. And there's shots, and there's lighting, and it's just awesome. The lighting and the shots that come from this film. And then the actual humor itself is hilarious. It's so funny. And it's funny in just the most sickening way possible. And you're laughing at the most outrageous thing, but there's nothing else to do but laugh. And in my head, I was like, am I a sick person for laughing at this? But then I know everybody was laughing. You know, because then I saw, and then I, uh, because my uh, family watched it without, we were, you know, I was in the house, we had to rent it, they were in the house, whatever, right? So they watched it after me. They were laughing too. So I was like, okay, I, I don't feel like a weirdo for thinking this movie's hilarious. Final movie, my best picture winner. I agree with the BAFTAs, all quiet on the Western front. 90% tomato meter, 90% audience score. The criticism reads, both timely and timeless, all quiet on the Western Front retains the power of its classic source material by focusing on the futility of the war. Audience says an outstanding update to an all-time classic, all quiet on the Western Front puts you right there on the battlefield and reminds you once again that war is truly hell. Now, again, this is another one of those films I want to properly pay because I haven't seen the original. I haven't read the novel. I've read part of the novel, but not the whole novel. I haven't watched the original film. I also haven't watched Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory, which is basically sort of like a... Uh, I, I don't want to say a rip-off, but a rift, rift on All Quiet on the Western Front. It has four stars on Box. I gave it four stars as well. My quote was, all of this is like a fever. No one actually wants it, but suddenly it's here. We didn't want it. The others didn't want it. And yet here we are. And yet half the world is here. And God watches on as we slaughter each other. Abrakshut Stanlosh Kat Kaczynski. The actors of note that you would know is Daniel Bru, who's a who's a Hollywood actor. He was in the Captain America franchise, among others. He's in this. All the other actors are German. They have a. It's on Netflix. You, you have an opportunity to watch it in dubbed in English. 
I watched in German and I really challenge everybody, watch it in German. Immerse yourself in something. Have a real experience. Watch it in German. Read some subtitles and watch it in German. I wrote, this is a cinematic feat. The story beautifully builds on itself, incorporating every characteristic of filmmaking, acting, directing, lighting, makeup, etc. to improve its pathos. Film also proves its point without once lecturing the audience. Amidst all of the horror, the film still has time to show beauty and all the additions to the story, uniform, bit, armistice, landscape, intercuts, work, magic. This is cinema. The film's not a complete remake because it does add parts. It, in it includes the armistice aspect of the war. When I tell you around, this is a kind of film that I gave it four stars, but if I was anybody else, probably would have gave it five. I mean, this is, film is brilliant. It's just, it literally is a brilliant film. And you watch this movie, it's, like, I can't even tell pe like who, people who don't, um, you know, if you're not someone who, like, uh, truly, like, has learned about film in the sense of, like, on a, on a an academic level, but, like, this is what I'm talking about when I say that everything works together. Because you have a film, right, that takes the obvious points of, like, acting and directing and screenplay that people see and then incorporates that with, like, editing and the kind of shots that you show and the lighting under which you show them and the framing and the part of the story in which you show them, like... And there's these intercuts of the landscape that are just so brilliant in the film that just show you that it's all like, even though we're people and it's the world to us in the grand scheme of things, we're nothing. You know, this film shows you that you can say a lot without putting your mark on everything. My problem, like, to sort of uh, compare this with another film, Everything Everywhere All Once, Everything Everywhere All Once, Target. The bullet is the globe, and it's trying to connect everything with such a large scope, which is admirable, but it's also incredibly hard to do. It's not an easy thing to accomplish. All quite on the western front, it does the opposite. It focuses on one event in World War One. It focuses on World War One, and then from that, it basically says everything about the human condition. That to me is. That's cinema, right? Because cinema is the one art form where you can combine all these different art forms into one, right? Because you can combine music into film. You can combine literature into film because of writing. You can combine the theatrical into film because of the theater aspect, the acting. But then you can add the secondary layer, which is the editing part, and you can make the story as you go. And that's why when you really see a film that's brilliant... You know. And again, it's different for everybody, and that's the beauty of it. <clears throat> I know people who probably saw everything everyone wants. They thought it was brilliant. I know people who probably saw the Fablemans. They thought it was brilliant. I know people who think they saw Top Gun and thought it was brilliant. I don't know what they were watching, but it's their right to think it. I don't think they're right, and I would say they're wrong, but they could think that. That to me is what a best picture winner looks like. And to me, this is the first year where I, I mean, granted, I've only been watching. Every Best Picture nominee for three years now, right? But this is the first shot of three where I've watched all the movies and said there's two choices that I would genuinely not have any disagreement with. And there's a couple more that I wouldn't even have a problem with. And we haven't had that in a while. There's been a lot of years where the winner, I think, was undeserving of the honor really isn't that good of a movie. And if you, if you objectively like watch the movie, you're like... 
objectively speaking, it's not that good. I think all Quite Honest Fans should win. I think everything everyone wants will win. And here are the odds, because I know people can't, certain, certain people in the audience only came from Bookie. So, roughly speaking, the favorite is everything everyone wants. Right now, currently minus anywhere between 200 and 300, depending on your book. Banshee's of Shannon is around plus 500. All Quiet on the Western Front is around plus 1,000. Top Gun Maverick is a plus, around plus 1,000. The Fableman's is a, around plus 1,500. Elvis is around plus 3,000. Tar is around plus 3,000. Avatar is around plus 5,000. And then Women Talking and Triangle Sadness are around plus 10,000, 8,000, something to that effect. If I was betting this, if you could make a parlay, I would do that. And what I would do is I would bet everything everywhere all wants to win. Original screenplay, Ki Woon Kwan to win. Supporting actor, Michelle Yeoh to win. Supporting a- best actress, the Daniels to win best director. And then everything everywhere all wants to win best picture. <clears throat> because if it wins best director, it's definitely probably going to win best picture. But again, that's not a lock. That's what I would do. If I if I if you were like, yo, what's what 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 would you do as a parlay? Now, if I'm betting it, again, I think Old Quad and the Most in Front should win. And I actually think if I was betting it, and I'm gonna put some money on this, I would sprinkle fifty dollars on all quad on the western front. The reason I do that is because you're gonna get plus a thousand yards. If it hits, you're gonna make five hundred dollars. That to me is worth sprinkling $50 on, right? Then, on the other aspect of that, I put $50 on Top Gun Maverick. The reason I do that is, again, same sort of thing. If you get $50, you know, you're going to win 500 if it hits. But not only that, more so the reason why I do it is because everything everybody all wants is not going to give you value. I look for value as a better. And to me... Top Gun Maverick with the tiered... I know a lot of... There's going to be people who put that number three. I don't know why. And I hope it's not that many. But they're never going to vote. You know, some of these movies are not winning, right? Like, Elvis is not winning. Avatar's not winning. Fableman's has no hype. Tar has no momentum. Women Talking is... You know, people don't even know it exists. Triangle of Sadness is not winning. All Quiet on the Western Front <clears throat> would be an outside pick. So you're looking at it and saying... Top Gun Maverick's a film that if they gave it to Green Book four years ago, who's to say that they're not going to give it to, to that film? And I could see people resenting everything everyone all wants and not putting it high up because they could say, well, look, it's a gimmick movie. It should be like fifth or sixth. And you're not going to get a lot of those second and third place ballots that you need. Right. So I could definitely see everything everyone wants getting the most first place ballots. It, honestly, I think it's definitely going to get the most first place ballots. Question is, how many second place? Because if you're not voting for everything everyone wants, well, I put it three, right? But if you're not voting for everything everyone wants at one, right? You're not voting for it at one. What are you voting ahead of it? You tell me. What are you going to vote ahead of it? Banshee's Vinny Shannon? That's probably like seventh on your thing then, or fifth on your thing. If you're not going to put, you know, if it's not one, you're not going to put it at two. Because then you're going to, if you like the Fablemans a lot, you're probably going to think Banshees is really good. And you're probably going to think Top Gun's really good. You know, like you're going to put, you're going to vote in 
like I did. Literally, like I did. Like I put Top Gun 10, right? If I put Top Gun 10, I'm probably going to put Avatar 9. I'm not going to put Top Gun 10, Avatar 1. That would make no sense. That's what I'm saying. So, well, I could actually see people the other way around. I mean, Avatar is definitely not winning. But there's no reason Top Gun Maverick should win. And I hope Top Gun Maverick doesn't win. But I wouldn't be surprised if it does win. I'm hope- I mean, the produ- I thought they were really going to have the awards out, but they're really taking their time with this. So I was hoping that at this point they would have announced the who won the producer gold guild awards show. So I could incorporate this into my analysis. But it's like two hours after I checked it and they still haven't announced the award. And it's like a one o'clock in the morning. Why is this not announced yet? <sighs> anyway, the awards. I haven't seen all the films yet. <clears throat> Top, best actors going to be a two horse race between. Brennan Fraser and Austin Butler. Brennan Fraser for The Whale and Austin Butler for Elvis. Best Actress is a two-woman race. Kate Blanchett for Tar and Michelle Yu for Everything Ever All at Once. I think for Best Actor, I would not be surprised if Brennan Fraser wins. And honestly, you probably should win. Best Actress, I'm torn. I've seen both. And honestly, I honestly might even feel fan of the honors. If I was voting for it, but uh, or even Michelle Williams for that matter. I mean, I'm I'm not. Um, but if I had to vote between those two, because those are going to win, I probably probably vote for Michelle Yu. I just think she overall gives like a more compelling performance and a more performance that allow her to actually act more. <clears throat> I just thought Kate Blanchett's performance was a little too distant for me. Best supporting actor. Kihu Kwan's going to win. That's a lock of the year. That's definitely... He's won everything. He's going to win that. Best Supporting Actress. I hope Carrie Condon wins, but Angela Bassett is probably going to win for uh, Black Panther, which... And then Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay. That's going to be interesting because Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay, like, they're weird this year because you have sequels in the mix and other things. Best Original Screenplay, honestly, though, everything everywhere all at once should win that award. Straight up. Everything every girl wants should win that award. I don't think that um, that really should be a question, honestly. <clears throat> I I don't know what other movie you would even vote for. So that's one. For best adapted screenplay, it's actually, uh, I think, wide open. But I would say that, in my opinion, I'd probably vote for Women Talking because it's actually an adapted screenplay. I mean, I don't know how Top Gun Maverick got nominated for best uh, adapted screenplay. That's... I don't know if you've actually read the thing, but I I don't I mean Living's not going to win that award. Is all quite on what's the fuck going to win? Maybe, maybe I mean, that's wide open though. I I hope Women Talking wins because I think Women Talking actually deserves to win that award. But if it's not Women Talking, I just hope it's not Glass Onion because I can't do it. Wrong. There was three movies that came out that were exactly the same: Triangle of Sadness, The Menu, and Glass Onion. Yours was the worst by far. And if anybody's seen all three, I, I mean, the people who only saw yours probably think it's good. But if you saw all three and you're telling me, if you see all three of those movies and you're telling me Glass Onion is the best out of those three, I want to know what you're doing. I know what I want to know what you're drinking, what you're smoking, what you're eating. I want to know it all. And I want to know it now. So you're doing something on the weekends, I'll tell you. So I hope, I'm telling you, I hope that movie doesn't win. I just I can't. 
I hope Angela Bissett. Not I, and by the way, I like Angela Bissett. I just don't want Marvel to win. But I only really want to hear Kevin. Hey, we won. We won. I don't want to hear Kevin Feige and the Marvel Knights. All right, over here, come out here and talk about how how good they are and how they're real cinema. Ant Man the Wasp was a, a, a trash, disgusting, terrible CGI money money laundering dog crap terrible movie that nobody liked. Go out from Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and then it's all downhill from there, boss. Marvel is D-E-A-D. They're dead. They're buried. I don't care. They'll make money. They'll make money. No one's saying that. They're going to make they'll make money to spite themselves. Marvel will make money to spite themselves. That doesn't mean that it's good. Okay. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to see Top Gun win anything i don't want to see it i don't care if you if you liked it that's fine <clears throat> don't tell me it's the best movie of the year with a straight face so the pga i waited guys so since 2009 the top pga winner has repeated at the oscars all but three times well everything everyone all at once just one so they are basically the lock now to win Best picture at the Oscars. Again, I may have another episode talking about the other categories. Probably not, by the way. I'm just feeling going in. Don't forget, we're going to have that post show after the Oscars, March 12th. So where you want to be, guys? It's going to be a live show. We're going to be, we're going to, we're going to ride. It's going to be awesome. I hope people come up, come out, talk, you know, ride. And we're going to have fun, dude. It's going to be, well, hopefully it's not boring. Some wild stuff happens. We can get into it. We can break down the show. The only, oh, the only way Rumors Money movie does. No one does it like we do. Straight up. No one does it like we do. So, again, that's coming in uh, about two weeks. And as always, you can follow us at Letterboxd, JB, NYRIC. It was a good plug for that this week. Check them out. They're funny. They're good. Also good suggestions for films you may want to watch. And then follow us on Twitter at rman underscore 901. You're going to want to watch that Twitter profile as we pop off for the Oscars. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate everyone coming on, listening to me divulge really fun Oscars, and we'll see who wins. Thanks everybody for listening. Until next time.